you know, really just been in, focused on engaging customers. You know, it's sort of nice because it lets us just focus on the fun, which is at the end of the day what we're about. And so finding lots of ways to engage with customers and let them enjoy the movies. Welcome back to the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, Editorial Director of the Box Office Studios. And I am Daniel Luria, Editorial Director of Box Office Pro. This week, we're going to talk about pivoting to the new normal. How do companies whose primary business is selling movie tickets respond with new strategies when there are no tickets to sell? This week, we speak to executives at two companies, Adam Tickets and Cinemark Theatres, to get a sense of how they have reacted to massive changes in their businesses and to see which of their new strategies might become viable parts of their business models going forward. We should probably do a quick mental health check. How have you been adjusting to your new life in isolation? Caitlin, our producer, and I were just talking. She was saying that she has a, a running group text with friends where each day they count off and note you know, which day it is in quarantine or in self-isolation. And she was saying that it's day 24 for those of us here in Los Angeles. I think my main thing is that I have no sense of time any longer. I could not have told you how many days it's been. I should probably have a calendar where I have little X's or maybe cues written on each day. But I really, I've just lost all sense of relative existence, <laughs> which sounds really horrible. You- but it's it's not, you know, I'm very lucky. I have a job. My family is healthy. I have plenty of food. I like my house. So being in it is not bad. But, you know, it's it's weird. It's really weird. What about you? I've just given up. I've <laughs> given up and ordered a rice cooker. After many, many attempts of making rice on my own, I've failed at each and every single one of them. I have bought a machine to help me make a simple pantry staple. Oh, and as I am preparing for my new normal with my rice cooker, we've actually had the opportunity to chat with different folks here in the industry on what their new normal looks like in their day-to-day jobs. Russ, you had an opportunity to speak with our friends over at Cinemark, and I had an opportunity to chat with the chief executive officer over at Atom Tickets, which is a digital ticketing provider for the industry. And this is the place where I will provide a disclaimer that uh, in my role with the box office studios, I do day-to-day work with Cinemark Theatres. So I don't actually directly work with Jeff, to whom I spoke today, but worth noting. So in my conversation with Matthew Bacall, the chief executive officer of Adam Tickets, we got to speak a little bit about what the COVID-19 crisis is doing to a startup company like Adam, which specializes in digital ticketing. Here in the United States, there are two major digital ticketing companies, uh, Fandango, which has been around for, for many years, and Adam, that came into the scene in Q4 of 2016. Obviously, they're selling tickets for upcoming weekends and uh, as uh, sort of advanced ticketing windows open. And Matt was able to tell us a little bit of what they were seeing from the front lines of uh, cinemas adjusting their plans during the onset of this crisis. When all of a sudden 
people started to message as AMC, as Cinemark, as all the regional circuits started to do, you know, 50% attendance capping and other things. I think that sort of sent up a bit of a flare. And then key markets like New York and L.A., uh, started having the uh, shelter at home orders. And as that started happening, it became clear that ticket sales were going to be way, way off for the week, for the month, for the year. There's a huge technological shift that has to go on to make a bunch of this stuff happen where you know, you're used to selling tickets in a certain way. In a normal day, two people, uh, one person buys two tickets to go to a movie, great. But if you suddenly have to be putting distance between people, then you've got to write that into your system. You know, you don't want to automatically be breaking up pairs of people that are buying together. You don't want to be adding, you know, a seat where there is an aisle, something like that. I, ultimately, the point is that there is a pretty big underlying technological shift that has to happen, even to make something relatively simple like that 50% attendance shift actually happen. And when you're looking at the impact of e-commerce here on the cinema business, it's interesting how on a market-by-market basis, different countries have a different overall percentage of online ticketing sales as opposed to uh, walk-ups to the box office. Even the box office has changed. Uh, in many in many times, you'll go to a cinema and now it's a ticketing kiosk through a point-of-sale system. Now, when you buy a ticket online, there are opportunities to buy either for the closest showtime or for you know movies that won't be opening for a couple of months, really. In the United States, some of the data that we've been seeing through our own internal research at our parent company, the box office company, it indicates that there's an average for around 25 to 30% ticket purchases coming from digital ticketing in the market overall. That percentage jumps up dramatically when we look at the role of digital ticketing for the bigger exhibition circuits. There, we can look at around 50% or more of online tickets coming to one of the major circuits through either their own website or these ticketing aggregators. So this is a, a pretty big shift, not only in the number of tickets you're selling, but how you're addressing this communication with consumers. It's a challenge that Matthew Bacall was telling me was uh, particularly stressful right at the beginning as there were a number of different guidelines depending on locations and circuits that his company was tracking. And that brings up the other thing I was thinking about, which is that with the exception maybe of a company like Adam, which as a startup is uh, possibly more nimble than other much more established players in the game, you know, large companies as a whole are not really built for rapid evolution and rapid transition in their business strategies. And one thing that we've seen with the coronavirus overall is that things change really quickly, like day to day, sometimes even changing multiple times within the span of a day. And it's been really kind of amazing to see how companies have stepped up or attempted to react to everything that's going on, some more successfully than others. So Adam actually had to go back to a lot of those consumers that already had bought a ticket 
and communicate these changes, in many cases, real time as they're happening, right? Sometimes with no clear game plan. It was a specific challenge. And uh, I asked Matt, how exactly Adam Tickets tackled this sort of communication with their consumers? We had a bunch of consumers early on. We always wanted to do right by our consumers. So we had hundreds of thousands of outstanding orders and um, we wanted to message everybody appropriately, make sure that their orders were secure and give them options when they are able to come back to the movies to, you know, rebook their bond tickets or their Mulan tickets or whatever else they're going to choose to see when movie theaters are back online uh, this summer or our theater partners, obviously. You know, it's been about working with them as they decided to shut down their theaters, their venues for for public safety reasons. And, you know, for the first week when it was happening, you know, I've been listening to your podcast. You know, it sort of wasn't 100 percent clear what was going to happen. In some cases, showtimes were being moved. In some cases, uh, theaters were being reduced to 50 percent capacity. In some cases, one venue would go offline. In some cases, it was an entire uh, city or region. And then during the course of the week, right, everybody closed. So for us as a tech company, of course, build systems that are not meant to go down. So we have backups upon backups with our partners at, at Amazon and Braintree and, and other services to ensure that there's no failure of those systems. So um, when all of a sudden everything has to go offline, and I say this about our, uh, you know, we're deep partners with Vista and the other POS systems as well. Uh, so everything is built to uh, sustain. So when all of a sudden, you know, AMC has to turn off, you know, 700 venues and our uh, systems are meant to speak with AMC's systems every five to 10 minutes updating showtimes, we have to you know, turn everything off in a thoughtful manner and make sure that it doesn't impact our customer uh, consumers or our customers' uh, movie theaters. And everybody was obviously working really well together and very focused. As things were unfolding, I mean, as I mentioned, and again, as, as you had mentioned, different theater chains were updating their systems and their capacities and their openings and their showtimes in minute by minute, hour by hour, real time. So I think that obviously, had we had the opportunity to plan a little bit more, that would have been a little bit easier in terms of the stress level for everybody. But I'm not sure that we could have done a better job necessarily. Everybody was really focused and I think really did a good job across the industry for doing right by the customer um, and winding things down as you know efficiently and quickly, of course, as possible. So hopefully the lessons, I think, maybe are, are cultural just in terms of everybody working together, everybody being in it for the good of cinema, everybody pining to return to the cinema and excited about preparing and executing the right messages uh, when the time is right. You know, whether it's May, whether it's June, whether it starts with, again, your local theater is the theater that's important to you. But maybe that won't be the first one to open. But when it does, we want to make sure you know about it. So how do we ensure sort of correct geo-targeting of our marketing messages? How do we ensure that uh, we're able to turn on those theaters one by one appropriately with the the POS systems. And so all that work is being done right now. We're actually, you know, we probably spent, let's call it two weeks winding things down. Well, really two to three days quickly winding things down. And then, you know, two weeks making sure everything was okay. Again, both with consumers, studio partners, theater partners. And now we're going to spend the next, you know, 30 to 60 days planning for the future. Bottom line, I guess there's a lot of stuff under the hood 
that consumers are not really meant to see and that we don't want to see. I don't want to know how a lot of this stuff happens. I just want to buy a ticket and get my ticket and go to the movie. And that's it. I don't want to have to think about it. But there's a lot that has to be tweaked. And when you've got to be doing complete changes in how you're acting as a go-between for a major exhibitor and the consumer on an hour-by-hour basis, that has got to be a pretty nerve-wracking scenario. And then I also wonder, this is something that ultimately was outside the the scope of both of our conversations today, but I would love to get some data on how many people were learning about what was going on and theaters being closed actually from communications with a company like Adam or even a company like Cinemark, because you know most people I think were probably following this closely, but certainly the sense that I get is that you're, if you're on the coast, if you were in New York or California or Washington, where the threat of coronavirus infections was more imminent early on, maybe you were paying more attention to it than if you were in a state that seemed more insulated. And I'd be curious to see how communications from these companies worked to actually disseminate the basic knowledge. This was in fact a gigantic problem that we were going to face as a country on the whole. And it was interesting tracking it from a press perspective. I know Russ and I, we were keeping tabs on this very closely because a lot of our work travel was associated around events and and the movie release schedule. I can tell you that between, uh, when was it, March 11th, when we all heard that Tom Hanks had contracted the coronavirus during a production in in Australia, when we learned that the NBA had started canceling games, even that was the same day, I believe, that uh, the National Association of Theater Owners announced that CinemaCon would be canceled. Between that day and around March 17th and March 18th, we started seeing a rapid, rapid development in the number of changing policies of movie theaters incorporating half-capacity measures in their auditoriums to some movie theaters just suspending operations before others did. So it was a a very sort of uh, rapid avalanche of news as it came came down. We work in this industry. It's our job to, to keep up with it. But as you mentioned, Russ, if you're a consumer, communicating those changes might've been a little bit trickier. So we've spoken to Adam Tickets about the challenges that they faced. And then on the exhibitor side, I spoke to Jeff Rosenfeld at Cinemark to get a sense of how their company has reacted on various levels, which along with the other major players, Regal and AMC, had to close all theaters within a very short time frame in order to re- respond to the coronavirus. Jeff Rosenfeld, I'm the SVP of Digital and Customer Experience at Cinemark. We um, aren't focused on selling tickets right now. Even on the loyalty side, a lot has changed. But Cinemark is uh, always very focused on putting the customer first. So when when we first announced the theater closures, you know, pivoted and jumped into action pretty quickly on pausing any of the um, charges to people in movie club, the paid program, took quick action on the free program to sort of push off any expiration or deadlines of points or rewards and things like that. You know, just making sure that people who spent their money with us and are engaged in the loyalty program can benefit from those rewards once we're open again. And actually, we've gotten a lot of great feedback on social media from that. So uh, that's pretty excited. And then outside of loyalty, 
you know, really just been in, focused on engaging customers. You know, it's sort of nice because it lets us just focus on the fun, which is at the end of the day what we're about. And so finding lots of ways to engage with customers and let them enjoy the movies. And that was uh, Cinemark sharing with us uh, their own experience as they began to communicate with their consumers on on the changes, a, a little bit of the background on pivoting their strategy and their communication efforts with the, with their consumers. And it's, I can't imagine the, the sort of uh, stressful nature of that as it's all happening in, in real time. Looking over at the data of movie going from 2019 that was provided by the Motion Picture Association, they reported that in 2019, more than three quarters of the U.S. and Canada population, that's about 268 million people, uh, went to the movies at least once uh, last year. So this is a situation where you have to communicate not only on a general sense, but in some cases in a very sort of specific sense, the people's uh, local cinemas on what's happening and how rapidly it's changing. And as we heard from our colleagues over at Adam Tickets and at Cinemark, that was a very quick sort of uh, race to get the word out and uh, required a lot of backstage maneuvering in order for these sort of uh, refunds and uh, communication with consumers to happen seamlessly. Yeah, I think for us, you know, Daniel, as you mentioned, we are both dealing with this flow of information on an hourly basis as news because it's our job. But, you know, a lot of people don't want to have to, a lot of people are not sitting at home tracking variety to see, you know, oh, has Disney moved Mulan? Wait, I thought James Bond was coming out. I had tickets. I bought, you know, maybe a special rewards package that had some other stuff in it. Am I getting any of that, that now? Do I get a refund? Where's my money? It's a lot of, again, you're talking about trying to, you know, the entire goal of these companies is to build a machinery that allows people to just go and enjoy a thing. And then suddenly, not only can they not give them that thing, they have to be the ones to communicate that it's not happening now and, and we don't know when it's going to happen, which puts everybody in a really unique position. And so Jeff at Cinemark spoke to me about which of their newer strategies might be carried over into whatever the next chapter is after theaters reopen. It's an interesting question. I, I think it, it depends. You know, we're certainly seeing some great reaction and engagement. So I think we'll we'll be able to take the learnings of what customers are most engaging with and figure out how to continue with that. Others may be less relevant when we're back about near-term drive to actions. A social post, and actually we did it as a blog story as well, that we had a lot of engagement with was watching some of the Disney animators draw the Frozen characters. And I don't know, that might be the kind of thing that, you know, with the relevant content or whatnot, people still want to engage with. We've done a lot, and I know other exhibitors have too, on um, sending out kids coloring books to uh, give parents something to do to entertain their kids. Obviously, once this is over, that purpose will be less relevant, but you know, I'm sure parents will still appreciate movie-themed coloring books, so that may continue as well. I don't know, Russ. I would personally appreciate a coloring book at this time. I'm not sure it's... Uh, I just need something uh, nice to get my mind out of staying in this apartment all day. But uh, I'm glad that exhibitors are thinking outside of the box. 
uh, and finding ways to to keep in touch with those customers uh, beyond just social media, right? Uh, getting in touch with them, sending these packages, and and engaging with their customers. Yeah, you know, a company like Cinemark, and maybe even to some extent one like Adam, uses print or digital editorial to support ticket purchases, but they're not exactly, you know, they're not a magazine and they're not a press outlet. It's not what they're there to do. And while some of the current landscape requires shifting that strategy a little bit, I think it would be a little bit wild to expect, you know, Cinemark to really fully embrace the idea of using editorial or other sort of audience outreach as any kind of primary motivator once they're able to actually show movies again and sell tickets to those shows. And what we're talking about, Russ, is an industry that has sold between $1.24 billion to $1.36 billion tickets per year each of the last 10 years. It's a fairly stable industry here domestically in the US and Canada markets, where it's important to keep in touch with your power users that are tracking to see when this new movie is coming out. They know everything about that Marvel Cinematic Universe. They've already bought their advance ticket uh, opportunity for Wonder Woman. It's important to, to let them know what's going on, especially because those are gonna be the sort of moviegoers that are part of your circuit uh, subscription service. I know Cinemark has the Cinemark Movie Club, a very popular initiative for their circuit, circuit, and many other companies have their own as well. But you also have to get in touch and communicate these changes to those infrequent moviegoers. I mean, the sort of moviegoers that will go to the movies once or twice a year. Uh, Traditionally, uh, that's always been I would say our uh, age range, Russ, uh, people that are in between their mid-30s, mid-40s that have uh, children at home, that have a fairly demanding work schedule and a, and a fairly demanding portion of their careers, that's historically been the toughest demographic uh, to communicate with. But that's still a sort of task that online ticketing companies and exhibitors have to reach out and communicate with both those sectors of their demographics. And so at this point, we're all, Daniel, kind of looking to the future. You know, we want to know when theaters will reopen. We want to know when that movie that we wanted to see is going to come out. I'm more and more afraid that Warner Brothers is not going to release the new adaptation of Dune, directed by Denis Veneuve, in December as originally planned. And I had my entire month of December planned out around that. I really did. I need the spice to flow. I need to see what happens when Timothy Chalamet rides a giant sandworm. I was really looking forward to that. And unfortunately, you know, that's the part of the puzzle that nobody, much less Adam or Cinemark, is able to communicate right now. You know, nobody can say with any degree of certainty, hey, this is when you're going to be able to come back. So we're left in a position of trying to maintain a sustained interest without having anything definite to offer, which is an amazingly tricky place to be in when your business is delivering something that is very concrete. So we spoke to Matt and Adam about what the future looks like and how they are approaching the coming months. I think that, you know, during times of stress, people are prone to to some big predictions. And so it's hard to make any, you know, huge predictions, but I like the way that I think you you and Russ had put it that it's sort of a, a recalibration 
of theatrical. And, you know, whether you see the dates changing on F9 or Black Widow or Wonder Woman or James Bond, these are all important things. But when you look at, you know, 1.3 billion tickets being sold last year in the U.S., I think it's going to get back to being a thriving business rather soon. There may be some trepidation, you know, in the early days when movie theaters reopen at first, and there won't be maybe as big movies as we all want there to be, you know, in the first month. But as things settle back in, I think there's a real chance for some exuberance, maybe for, you know, a full out sort of bacchanalia of movie going, you know, for people who have been stuck at home, you know, maybe on their own, maybe with one or two other folks, but really to reconnect with their friends and family. So I think it's important to keep in mind, you know, not the sort of dire situation we're in today, but what should be uh, when we look at um, August, September, October, November, December, and just the, the sort of incredible movies coming out then and sort of all bunker down. How do we kind of look to that as kind of our, our North Star? And we will be there soon. So I think there's a real reason for optimism for the business. And I think it's important for everybody to, to keep that in mind as, as they think about their day-to-day activities right now. And that was Matthew Bacal, Chief Executive Officer of Adam Tickets. And uh, Russ, what can I tell you? For you, that North Star might be Timothy Chalamet riding a giant sandworm into whatever sunset there is in this Dune galaxy. I am actually not familiar with the Dune franchise uh, because uh, I had friends in high school. <laughs> I, You know what? I'm having a great time listening to just how much of a struggle it is for you to even get Timothy Chalamet writing a giant sandworm out as a spoken phrase. And, but I'm telling you, eventually this movie is going to convince you. It's going to convince everybody. You're all going to be believers. I say that without having seen the movie. (laughs) But it it is a title that I think had a lot of analysts talking about it as we entered this year. I know our own chief analyst, Sean Robbins, had it listed as one of the potential breakout hits, obviously uh, with not only release schedules sort of getting recalibrated, but films that have not yet finished being pushed back uh, further into 2021. It's something that we'll have to wait a little bit uh, to see. In the meantime, uh, we do have to talk about it. What's been the best sort of way to help movie theaters during this period. We've we've addressed uh, everything from merchandising sales to buying gift cards. Russ, you you posed a question to Jeff Rosenfeld over at Cinemark. Uh, This is what he had to say. I think our point of view on it is we're really focused about the future of once we reopen. And so for us, the best way movies, moviegoers can support cinemas and really the entire industry is by going to see the movies once we reopen. I think that's a good position to take because ultimately there's nothing else you can say. Yeah. And then I am also curious as we get to to chat with our colleagues here from both Adam and and Cinemark on what else about the movie going experience uh, might change when we're on the other side of this. Uh, we, We opened the podcast talking about what the Average percentages of online ticketing purchases in, in the United States, uh, while it's still rather high compared to other markets in in Europe or Latin America, it's still well behind the sort of uh, digital ticketing presence that you see in the world's second biggest box office market, China. I believe China has around ninety percent of its tickets being sold through mobile platforms, which is a great opportunity for aggregators like a Adam Tickets or like a Fandango as we enter 
these sort of ramp-up stages where we're going to try to minimize the sort of person-to-person interaction uh, where possible. Uh, Digital ticketing, I think, will be part of that opportunity. And these point-of-sales ticketing kiosks at cinemas might be another way to sort of uh, encourage these social distancing measures uh, as much as possible in a return to cinemas. Daniel, you brought up a question earlier. What is the best or rowdiest screening that you've ever been to? And I would love to know what your answer is. Now, the rowdiest screening I've ever attended in person was a couple of years back. I went to brunch here in New York uh, and like many folks going to brunch in New York, these are sort of uh, boozy two-hour affairs. I stumbled my way to a cinema in Chelsea, I think at the time was operated by Bowtie. It is now operated by Cinepolis, but this is uh, before Cinepolis had a presence in New York City. And I walked in around 4 p.m. on a Sunday in the opening weekend of Magic Mike, the Steven Soderbergh movie. It was packed with people. Um, I don't think anyone there was sober. I could barely hear any of the dialogue on screen. And it was a sort of participatory screening where there were items of clothing uh, flying around from the audience. It it was definitely a cultural experience here in New York uh, attending that Sunday 4 p.m. quote-unquote matinee of Magic Mike. I've never been as jealous as anyone as I am of you for having such a great Magic Mike experience. (laughs) That is wonderful. The rowdiest for me, you know, like you, I've been in a handful of movies where uh, maybe things didn't go so well. The most consistently upbeat, boisterous, good times I've had at the movies were at the Toronto Film Festival with the Midnight Madness program where you know they're programming genre movies typically well not typically i think almost exclusively they're programming genre movies that nobody has seen before i'd have to look up the year but it was mid late aughts with the midnight madness premiere of the movie ong bak was just still one of the greatest experiences i've had in a theater because it's a movie with for those of you who haven't seen it it's got some really astonishing performances of uh, thai kickboxing and it's the actors are doing incredible stunts and they're shot in a way so that it's made very clear the performers are doing the stunts themselves there's not a lot of you know not a lot of editing to sort of create an illusion of a thing that isn't really happening and people in that screening were just blown away by it. You know, it wasn't one of those things where people are are loud and making fun of a thing or like it was the most unified audience of just people who were gleefully bowled over by a movie that they didn't know anything about two hours before. That was a really, really wonderful experience. It also sounds like the least frightening way to experience Thai kickboxing with a boisterous crowd. <laughs> exactly. Well, Russ, thanks again for joining me, and I uh, thank you as well. Daniel, thank you for joining me once again. This is great. It's always great to talk to you. Likewise, and uh, don't forget to read the latest headlines at boxofficepro.com, where you'll also be able to find the latest episodes of our podcast. 
The Box Office Podcast is produced by Bradley Denham and Caitlin Kehoe. You can find us on podcatchers all across the globe. You can also find us on audio services such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please subscribe and rate us, at least if you have nice things to say. Otherwise, we'll send Thai kickboxers to your house to recreate my screening of Ong Bak, but it probably won't be as fun. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Bye.